Welcome to the Case Interview Podcast. If you're tired of BS, generic case interview advice, then you've come to the right place. Here, we'll share practical insights, systems, and techniques that we've battle-tested with real candidates to help them get their offers at top consulting firms like McKinsey, BCG, and Bain. If you want to know more about our work, visit craftingcases.com and get instant access to our exclusive case prep material. Now, let's go on to today's episode. Hey guys, so welcome to another episode of the Case Interview Podcast. And today we're going to talk about how to master case math questions, even if you're not a math person. And the context that you need to know behind this episode is that there is a course. There is something behind. We've created the best course <laughs> for analytical questions. That's, that's not very humble of you, Julius. <laughs> no, but I did take a whole year building this course. Yeah, that's fair so enough. We analyzed 193 cases and helped hundreds of students solve their problems with analytical questions before creating this course. So, yeah, it's not very humble, but honestly, I feel entitled to it. Yeah, all right. So, uh, yeah. If you if you have trouble with case math questions right now, uh, I think it's interesting to know what gives us any credibility to talk about it at all. And I, I guess Julio touched the main point, which is uh, we've helped hundreds of candidates with this type of difficulty in the past. And uh, we, mainly him, uh, spent months and months, almost a whole year, uh, looking into hundreds of math questions from real case interviews, trying to find the patterns, the exact things that you need to, to know and do to solve each one of them. And we've created a course on that called Analytics Academy, and we're not here to really sell the course. Uh, although if you do have trouble with these types of questions, it's probably going to be helpful. Uh, but to share, we're here to share our knowledge uh, and our experience to help you overcome this challenge. So if, you, if you're going through cases, you have a few things that you need to master in order to uh, do well in your cases and get jobs at McKinsey, BCG, Bain, other consulting firms. Structure is one of them. Estimation is another one of them. And analytics, so case math and also charts, which come in the bundle, uh, is another one of them. And if you have trouble with these questions, it's very frustrating, right? Because you're, uh, you're going through your case nicely and then you get a math question and then you, you start uh, messing up with the math and then the interview goes sour. And we're, we're going to try to help you uh, overcome this today. But for a starter... Uh, what is a case math question, Julius, since yeah. you're, you're the expert here? Because we have some beginners watching us right now. Yeah, let's get them up to speed so that we're all speaking the same language. But basically, a case math question is one of those questions where the interviewer gives you the business context, gives you uh, some data, sometimes a lot of data, oftentimes a table, and will ask you to calculate something specific using that data, but they won't tell you how. So... Let's say, for example, that the, they give you a question where the Olympic Games Committee for 2024, want, they'll give you a table and ask you to calculate, I don't know, how much money uh, the Olympic Games Committee can save if they use volunteers for activities X, Y, and Z, or okay. something like that. Instead of regular employees. Yeah. Okay, and it's not that obvious because 
you have some costs with the volunteers as well, right? Exactly, and uh, there are activities that they will not do, and you've got to think of all that. That's why there's a business context because it's not only a math problem like a math test. Yeah, it's also a business problem that has context that you need to take into account. Yeah, I can give another example. Let's say you want to build a road and you have two types of materials that you can use i don't know asphalt and concrete mm -hmm. uh what's the best one so it's a, a decision one is probably more expensive up front the other one has more maintenance i don't know if there's accidents a difference yeah. in accidents between them and then you have some costs associated with that uh so that would be another example as you yeah. said it's not just Uh, here's some numbers, do the math. Mm -hmm. You also have to think about the underlying problem, which could be a business problem, a public sector problem. Yeah. And, you know, what I think is interesting about what they are is that what they're not. Like mm -hmm. a lot of people have misconceptions about these. One that I see often is people think it's like fast mental math, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. So you see beginner candidates, Uh, even before they do their first case to practice, they go into these mental math apps and yeah. they try to do like what 64 times 17 really fast. And then they upgrade the difficulty. Now it's like what's 632 divided by 138. And they, they try to do these fast math exercises all yeah. day. And while that's an element of case math, like you need to do math, like arithmetic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes in your head is best. You can use paper for sure. You can't use calculator, uh, a calculator in most firms uh, for reasons that we'll probably uh, speak about later. But it's not the main point. Yeah. Like, yeah, they could hire a 10-year-old kid that wins those mental math uh, contests yeah. Yeah, if, if they wanted a human calculator, but that's not what they're looking for. And another misconception that I see often is people think it's all about business formulas. And this usually comes from people who don't have a big business background. They didn't go to business school. They didn't take finance classes in, in, in their undergrad studies. They may never have worked in, a, in, a, in the private sector. Uh, and they think that, oh, if, if only I knew the right business formulas, then I would uh, then I would do well in these. So like, oh, in the, in the, I don't know, the road concrete versus asphalt example, like, oh, what's the ROI of these? And if they knew the ROI formula, they do well. Yeah. But the truth is it doesn't really help because it helps a bit, but it's not the point again. Like mm -hmm. you need to be able to think about maintenance and, uh, accidents and you know how long will the road take to to be built and yeah. permits or whatever whatever else yeah and that kind of creativity is never something that you need to have uh when you're doing math questions and tests and math tests and yeah stuff. exactly so like if you're in school and you have to calculate the roi you get like the exact inputs you need oh yeah. this is the interest rate and this is the Uh, the returns, the dividends, or whatever, and this is the in initial capital, right? So, yeah. and you you get the exact inputs. You just do the math, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's complex math, right? If you're calculating, I don't know, the price of an option, it's like a huge equation that 
I don't, I've never understood. Uh, but you do get the inputs. Yeah. And in consulting math, in case math, it's the opposite. Like the, the formulas are really simple, mm -hmm. like the overarching uh, abstract formulas, like break even, right? It's fixed cost divided by the margin per unit. Yeah. Right. But the, the problem is like, how do you get to those inputs? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is why a case interview is so different than any other math question. Now, as a candidate, I now understand what a case math question is or an analysis as we call them. But I would really want to know right now what interviewers are looking for. What are they testing for in math questions, case math questions? It's a good question. Uh, And it comes back to like, if they're not looking for the human calculator, if they're not looking for the person who knows all the math business formulas or whatever, uh, what are they looking for, right? Yeah. W what's the thing? And I think to understand that, you kind of need to understand what the job entails. Like, how do you use these math skills, these analysis skills on the job? Mm -hmm. And the best example that I have is, let's say you're with a client doing a project and you need to find a certain number yeah. or, a, or find, like make a chart or find a certain result to reach a conclusion. Yeah. And you open up Excel, right? Mm -hmm. Or any other software, but Excel is the most common. You open up Excel and you have to do a model or you have to do a, for instance, a a sheet that yeah. gives you the result. Uh, how's the how's the work done? The, the thing post, what people think uh, happens is you input all the data, you do some math and you get the result and you present to the client and they clap to you and you know, you, you, you get promoted. But what actually happens is uh, you first need to know exactly what you're looking for and why. Mm -hmm. because that determines how you're going to do the math, right? Yeah. The second step is you structure everything that you need uh, in that Excel sheet before you even have the data mm -hmm. because there's no like Google for data in big companies. You actually have a lot of work to do to get the data. You have to go to the IT or to the data department. You have to uh, uh, ask for a data request in most companies which might take anywhere from three hours to three days, sometimes yeah. a week. Uh, so if you ask for the wrong data or for incomplete data, mm -hmm. uh, you're not in, in good shape, right? Because yeah. you need another few days or even a week to get the new data that delays the project. So what you actually do is you structure in your Excel sheet or whatever thing you're using, Uh, exactly what variables you need, mm -hmm. what data you need for each variable, mm -hmm. and the logic behind the the variables. So you actually build the model first. Yeah. Because when you do the logic, then you're sure that the data you're requesting is exactly what you need, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then comes the next step, which is getting the data, right? And yeah. then you input the data because you have the logic ready, like Excel does all the math for you. And, and once you have a result, you have to interpret that result. Yeah. You have to say what that means because you're not going to go to your clients and say, oh, it's 37. 
mm -hmm. and look them in the eye and be like, yeah, 37 is the answer, <laughs> right? You need to actually say, oh, it's 37 and this means this. Mm -hmm. And what we're going to do next is this, because if we figure out this other number, like it's 37, a ratio of whatever other number, yeah. uh, then the, the recommendation is this. And then you actually help your clients do what they must do. So very long explanation for what they're testing. They're testing if you can do all those things in this order. I think that there's there's this hypothetical situation that explains this really well. And I, th I think I've never told you about this one, at least not in these specific terms. But one way to think of an analysis in a case interview or a case math question is you're in front of a client with a client who's bad at math mm -hmm. and you're going to do math, napkin math with them to reach a number. And that client is not going to like the conclusion that you're going to reach. That's a good point. So, so sometimes, but yeah, often, no, but yeah. in the in the the skills that they're testing are the ones that you need to do to go through this hypothetical situation. Right. So you need to structure everything that you're gonna do and discuss the logic with the client beforehand, mm -hmm. so that you're not disagreeing on the numbers. You're you're making a deal on how you're gonna get to the to the final number. Right. So you agree before on before they even know what the results will be. Yes, so that they won't disagree on the numbers before. Yeah. So you can do that beforehand. Then you quickly do the math with them. So in a way that they understand because they're bad at math and in a way that they can reproduce even being bad at math because they're going to need to, they're going to need to show that to their own stakeholders. Yeah. And and, and then, also they're going to need to not feel stupid. Exactly. If yeah. They don't, like if they don't understand what you're doing, they'll be resistant yeah. to the answer because they didn't understand. And if you can explain more clearly, they'll be more, uh, they'll feel smarter. Basically. Yeah. yeah. And of course, uh, you're not supposed to make mistakes at that time. And you're also supposed to catch if they make a little mistake yeah. here or there. If they forget a zero or if they, uh, divide by the wrong number or something like that. So you need to be numerically fluent so that you'll catch those little mistakes. Mm -hmm. And finally, you also need to be able to interpret those numbers in a way that your client won't feel helpless when you give them the number that they don't want. Right. So you need to be able to get to a, what McKinsey calls a, so what, so yeah. what that number means in the big picture and also what they should do next. Uh, so that they're biased towards action and not stuck in a position that's not that's not what they wanted in the first place. So basically what you need to do, and that's what you do in a case interview, is structure the problem, structure the math that you're going to do beforehand and discuss that with the interviewer. Then do the math in a way that's numerically fluent. It doesn't need to be superhuman calculator speed. It just needs to be simple and not wrong. And then you need to be able to interpret those numbers and give away next steps. Yeah, what, what I like about your example, uh, contrasted to mine, is that on one side you have this very long, uh, lonely, in a way, process of building a model, building a spreadsheet uh, you're with your computer, and you use these skills for a certain reason. Yeah. And in your scenario, you're in a shorter amount of time, maybe just a meeting. 
yeah maybe just a section of a meeting like mm -hmm. five minutes of a meeting and you're with other people with your clients and you also use the same skills and they also uh have a reason to be mm -hmm. in that scenario and it's interesting because uh the way you do math in these two situations which are both consulting Mm -hmm. is different than the way you do math in, for example, a school exam or even like if you're trying to build a rocket, I don't know, and yeah. you have like other physicists and rocket engineers on your side and like you don't need to explain everything in very simple, straightforward terms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's something about the profession in a way and it applies in multiple scenarios, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... uh if they're testing for that, mm -hmm. can we infer like what are they not testing for and what are the most important things they're testing for in a case math question? Yeah. So I think we've talked a lot about what they're not testing for, but I think it's worth it to get back to that. And that is most people, many people think that they're testing uh, for superhuman, super speed calculations. And that's not really what they're testing for. They don't care about that because the client wouldn't in that situation. Yeah. They're not testing for making absolutely no mistakes, but they are testing for catching those mistakes. Yeah. They're not testing for getting to the right answer exactly. Like you need to get the right answer, but it's not a test. They're testing for whether you can the process, like the how you get to the, the right The how answer. you get there and whether you can take someone with you and what you do after that as well. Yeah. So before the test, you need to take someone with you and you need to be able to explain and discuss your methods. And after the answer, you need to be able to lead the client using that information. Yeah. 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 And I think the main thing they're testing for, which is the most important in both cases, is the structure because if you can't take a real problem and structure it mm -hmm. in number of steps or different variables and equations uh, that you can show to your clients and and they can understand then it's hard to 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 do all the rest yeah because you'll be doing like uh you'll be doing dumb math in a way like you're you're not following a plan you're ju you're just multiplying numbers and you even yourself you don't understand what you're doing right yeah and i think that's probably the main reason why lack of structuring math questions is the main reason for failure directly and indirectly so uh if you don't structure you have a case, you get a math question. Mm -hmm. If you don't structure your math question up front, uh, you will fail probably because yeah. they're a actively looking for that mm -hmm. because they want you to do it in the real job. Yeah. Uh, but also, even if you, even if, even if you don't fail because of that, uh, you probably mess up later, right? So, uh, I. We've had a client on our analytics analytics academy course who he said that he joined the course and he thought his main issue was the arithmetic, like yeah. the mental math and like multiplying and dividing. Uh, he watched our video on that in the course on on doing mental math and doing faster arithmetic. 
uh, and error-free arithmetic. Uh, and he said this video fixed his issue in one day. Yeah, I remember that guy. Yeah, it fixed in one day, but then he found out that his actual issue was a lack of structure. Like mm -hmm. he had a hard time creating a clear structure that he would like five minutes later understand. Yeah. And that was causing most of his arithmetic mistakes, which going back to that, I, I think is the main issue with people using mental math tools or apps. Like if your structure sucks, your whole thing is gonna suck. So yeah, because yeah, the structure has two has two uses, has two functions, right? One of them is like I said, guiding the other person and allowing them to follow what you're doing. But another one is also knowing what you're gonna do. It's guiding yourself in the future because you don't wanna dive into a table full of full of numbers and start calculating because you don't have the the RAM for that, the RAM memory. Yeah. You need you once you're in the middle of the of the fire, you're not gonna remember what you need to do next and next and next unless you have a map beforehand. Yeah, it's like preparing before doing, right? Because yeah. when you're in the middle of it, it, you're more stressed out and Yeah. Yeah. Now, one other thing that I wanted to bring up, because I think that this is something that candidates get confused about when they're preparing. So Many people think that they are already ready in the beginning mm -hmm. because, well, it's math. I know how to do math. And then we're telling them that interviewers are testing for this and this and this and that. And that they, you know, if they're making mistakes in their, in their case prep uh, mock interviews, then they're most likely not ready yet in terms of analytics. But then there's a next step, which is how do they know they're ready? So, right. How do they know that they're not ready and how do they know they're ready? Right. And I have an answer for that and I want to know if you agree with it. Okay, okay. So I thought you were asking me. I am asking you if you agree <laughs> with me because okay. I brought this I brought this ready beforehand, right. I admit. Uh, so I think that there are three main things that they need to be able to do in every single uh, mock interview that they do or drill. One of them is creating the full path to getting to the final answer before starting to do any math. 100% agree. Before multiplying, adding, subtracting any numbers, yeah. they need to know exactly what they're going to do and they need to be able to communicate that. Yeah. And that is in every single interview. Yeah. Now, it sounds uh, harsh to say in every single mock interview, but once you have this skill, you are going to be able to do it every single time. And if sometimes you don't, sometimes you can't do it, then you don't have the skill yet. And that's definitely going to appear in your four McKinsey interviews at some point. Yeah, I think uh, trying to say what you said in other words, you're not trying to wing it. Yes, exactly. You're not trying to have a half-assed plan that, you know, maybe will lead somewhere and then you'll figure out as you go. A lot of people do that. Mm -hmm. I think it's the best thing you can do if you can't structure the whole uh, path to the answer up front, but the problem is your interviewer notices that. Yeah, uh, they already get suspicious of your skills as they notice it, and also the chances of you uh, not being able to get smoothly to to the answer in that scenario is very high, mm -hmm. which means that uh, 
uh, in a sequence of like five or six interviews that you need to get, uh, uh, that you need to pass to get an offer at any firm pretty much, uh, you will you will make a big mistake or get stuck, mm -hmm. severely stuck in one, two, even three of those. Yeah. And, and then you're out, yeah. basically. All, all you need is getting stuck in one of them. Yeah. Which is a shame, but that's how it well, works. Maybe two. Depends on how bad you get stuck. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and then there's a second thing. Uh, I said that there were three things that they need to be doing consistently. Very structured. One of them is structure. <laughs> uh, the second one is catching their own math mistakes before the interviewer. Right. So I don't care, and the interviewers don't care as well, if you make uh, a math mistake here or there. I've had a candidate who told me that she, she had six Bain interviews, and she made a mistake in every single one of them. Yeah. But she would catch that mistake. So if you're catching your mistakes before the interviewer every time, or at least they don't need to tell you that there's a mistake. Maybe they'll see it first, but then you'll say, oh, there's a mistake here, and you'll go back to it. Then that's good enough Yeah. in terms of math mistakes. A and what I think people don't realize, and let me look you in the eye, actually. I'll stop looking at Julia. <laughs> you, what you don't realize is that when your interviewer catches your mistakes, they're actually using specific techniques to do that. Like they're triangulating they're using rough numbers to get to the rough answer. Unless they act, they know the whole calculation up front, which usually they don't. They just like go into the room and do a case. Yeah. They don't remember the calculation. So they're actually doing stuff to catch your mistakes. And the way you catch your mistakes before they do is you do the same stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's th this is something that's really funny. People don't realize. I think maybe you should do an episode about this sometime. But it's how the mind of a consultant works, you know? You put yeah. a chart in front of a consultant, they'll be adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing all the numbers in that chart uh, right away while they talk to you, while you talk to them. That's going to happen naturally. And yeah. many other things happen in the mind of a consultant that's not exactly, you know, an interviewer's mind that's analyzing you all the time. It's just a consultant's mind. Yeah, exactly. It's not I, like they go into interview mo interviewer mode and they'll be like, oh, now I'm going to double check their math. Like they're doing that all day yeah. with their clients, with their team, with their partners. Yeah. Like. And another example is uh, the structuring thing that you said. They're going to notice right away if you don't structure. And that's because they've been at the consulting firm for two, six, sometimes 10 years, surrounded by people who structure their problems before and discuss the method before. When they see someone not doing that, they feel it right away, especially when they're in the office. Yeah. <laughs> they feel it. They're yeah. like, you don't belong here. And it's clear to them. There were two partners at my McKinsey office who were a couple mm -hmm. and they got married. Uh, and they were just like, they were new partners and then they, they got married. Mm -hmm. And they say that they had like a one 120 page slide deck for their... <laughs> for their wedding, like operations, finances, <laughs> uh, guest list, what are the criteria to, uh, and I guess it's kind <laughs> of an ex, fun. yeah, it's not, that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd wanted to go to, to that wedding, but <laughs> it was probably really well organized, yeah. let's call it that way. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, the third thing that the candidates need to be doing consistently uh, so that they know they're ready yeah. is, 
giving a clear interpretation to the number and giving actionable next steps. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily need to be unprompted every single time. Like someone can remind you of that and that's okay. Unprompted is better, but you're able to get to a conclusion and you're able to give next steps every single time. So if you can do these three things consistently, then you're ready and then you can start focusing on something else. Yeah, and I think on this last one, it goes back to the mind of a consultant. It's not like they look at a number and they, they'll, they'll be like, oh, now it's the time to derive a conclusion of this number. Like they do that all day. Yeah. Like they know from hard earned experience that if they just show a number to to a client or even to a team member, mm -hmm. like they'll take some time to connect the dots. Not necessarily they'll go into the right uh, conclusion. Uh, or even the conclusion that you want them to go to, oftentimes they'll use that data to uh, confirm their biases. Yeah. So they need to, every time that they give evidence, they also need to give the conclusion, not because they're trying to manipulate anyone, but because people uh, fool themselves, people have their heads in other places when, you, when you're talking to them, and they, they're often confused or uh, distracted, and you want to do the work for your client. Yeah. And the work is not just getting to the number, it's also helping them understand what the number means. Yeah. And it's not an imposition, of course. The client can say, oh, I think it means something else. Yeah. Uh, but if there's hard disagreement there, then the, the consultant didn't do their job well enough. Yeah. Right? Because they, they, they should be able to understand what... Uh, the client expects the number to mean and, and everything else. Yeah. I just add one thing to your uh, list of three, Julio. Okay. And, and I'm going to uh, basically mess it up because three <laughs> is obviously a better number for a list. That's okay. Uh, I'd add when you're doing the structure, if you can find hidden variables, uh, so non-obvious variables that should be added to the math, because it makes it more precise, more nuanced, uh, or considers the, the different aspects of the problem better, uh, then you're, that, that's also a good sign that you're ready. So mm -hmm. usually your interviewer will actively look for your ability to find these hidden variables, mm -hmm. and they won't give you all the numbers you need. Yeah, they'll give you like seventy percent, eighty percent of the num the numbers you need, and if you you have to create this habit of asking, oh, what about this variable? What about this correction to this number? Yeah. Oh, I need to multiply this and this, but I also need this thing that you didn't give me. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is another sign that you're you're ready, right? And and then you can feel comfortable with math and move on to another thing. Yeah, I think that to just to contextualize that skill that you just pointed out, sure. I think that's a good point. And the way you use that as a consultant is let's say you're the manager and you have consultants and, uh, and BAs under you who are doing several analysis. The manager needs to be able to look at that analysis and right away understand what the consultant forgot. Yeah. And what the BA forgot. What's something that they should be considering, otherwise the number is wrong, yeah. and they're not, because they just, it was non-obvious. Right, because in a case, you get the math question, and you answer it. 
But in the real project, you make up your own math question yes. and then you answer it. Exactly. So they try to uh, simulate that in the case by not giving you everything you need to see if you're able to understand for yourself what you need, what else you need, right? Perfect, yeah. Yeah. And, and another thing that uh, came to mind is I we had a client once uh, an engineer, mm -hmm. I don't know if you, if you remember her, but she always thought that she was excellent at math because she was an engineer. Yeah. And she made like, she made a mistakes in six analysis out of 10. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard to persuade her that she should work on this because she was already, uh, convinced that she was great at math because she was an engineer yeah and she was great at math i bet she was way better than me like i sucked at calculus for instance yeah uh but in case math specifically she would make mistakes mm -hmm. usually like silly mistakes like the number of zeros in the answer or she'd skip a step uh by being distracted or whatever And I, I call this an unexpected weakness. Like mm -hmm. if you're an yeah. engineer, you don't think your math is going to be your issue. Same with business students. If you're an MBA, you don't think business sense is going to be a problem. Uh, and some people with a marketing background think their communication is excellent because of that. Yeah. And, and these are unexpected weaknesses and you have to, to be aware of them because you know, they, 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 they get you. Yeah. So this is one thing also, like try to be very systematic on these three things. And then the fourth that I put, uh, your structure, your, what's the other one? Your structure, uh, catching your own math mistakes and getting right. next steps. And then also finding hidden variables. Try to be very, uh, systematic about it is the advice that I give candidates. Cause so what you're saying is don't come in, with uh, a preconceived notion of what you're going to be good and what you're going to be bad at, but rather look at your performance to figure that out. Yeah, Is that what you're saying? yeah, use data from real cases. Like in this case, did I do a full structure mm -hmm. before I started solving? Yes or no? Did I have to adjust it afterwards? Yeah. Uh, in this case, I did a math mistake. Did I catch it like almost instantly mm -hmm. or not? Yeah. Or did I not catch it? Right? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes yep. sense. Now, I wanted to change the gears a little bit okay. and bring this conversation to actual practice. Oh, we've given candidates a lot of context, yeah. but now what do they actually do? So the way I wanted to phrase this, the way I want to bring this to this episode, because it is a podcast episode, despite the fact that we're talking uh, to each other. Yeah, that's what, what are we the, do in our podcast, isn't it? It is. <laughs> what are the elements of a perfect preparation? Perfect is a heavy word, Julio, but we'll try. Okay, yeah. Well, we're <laughs> not doing the preparation. Yeah. yeah, no, let, let's do it. Uh, I think the one, the first thing is if you're preparing specifically for case math, mm -hmm. right? And actually, let, let me preamble this. When should you prepare for case math? Mm -hmm. uh, in my view, I don't know if you disagree with me or not. Uh, you first need to learn how to solve cases and not worry too much about any specific part. Yeah. Then for most people, you should focus on your structure, 
because that's how you start the case. That's what most questions within the case are. Mm -hmm. And also within the context of consulting, uh, it doesn't matter if you can do math or not, if you can structure the problem first and find out what math you need to do, right? Perfect. Uh, and then you should worry about math once you find out that you have either of these issues that you, you mentioned. Right. I can structure it up front. I make arithmetic mistakes that I can't catch. I don't understand what the number means. Uh, at the end, I get lost. Yeah. However, for some people, people who know that they're not really good at math mm -hmm. uh, or even case math, then I think you should start preparing for that a little bit earlier Yeah. in parallel with the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, because that you know that's gonna be a a, a roadblock already. Yeah. So, so yeah. So given that, I mm -hmm. think the first thing you need is techniques, and the ones that I the ones that I think are most important at first is structuring techniques for case math problems. So forget all the math that you've seen elsewhere. It doesn't have anything to do with GMAT math, with GRE math, SAT math, uh, school, university, case math. Mm -hmm. Learn techniques to structure those things. Be and it's different from all the others because all the others is just formulas, mm -hmm. right? It's just, uh, oh, this is the formula for quadratic equations. Use yeah. it, right? Yeah. This is the formula for sine and cosine and... Yes. Tangents, whatever. So what do you mean by techniques for structuring? Well, one is if I give you a business problem that has some math in it, mm -hmm. can you create an equation out of that? Okay. And it's not about knowing business formulas, as we mentioned. Like mm -hmm. maybe one or two of them are useful, but you should be able to do it even if you don't know any business formulas. Like can you structure them into an equation? Okay. Mo like multiplying signs, dividing signs, addition, subtraction. And if I give you a more complex problem that would probably need like 10 variables, 15 variables, you probably won't be able to do an equation out of it. Uh, but then can you do a step-by-step -step, uh, structure? Yeah. So the first step is get to this number. I'm going to do this equation, this small equation to get to this number. And mm -hmm. then the second step is to get to this number from this number. So I need to do these extra two um, math additions, subtractions, yeah. to that, these math operations. And eventually you get to the answer. So these two techniques, creating a simple equation and also creating a step-by-step -step structure for more complex cases, uh, I think they're vital for, for you to do what you said, which is structuring the whole problem up front before you even multiply anything. Yeah, I think that this is this is a good point that you're bringing. Uh, this is something that once most candidates know that they need to do, they can start practicing it. Mm -hmm. And it is, as you said, the, mo the greatest reason why candidates fail, the largest or the most frequent reason for failure. So it is really important that candidates know that they should do this and that they should be practicing it specifically, right? Yeah. Uh, one thing that I would like to emphasize, because candidates say that they understand this, but then they, they go on to practice and do it all differently, is when you're structuring step-by-step -step or equations, uh, at least in your practice, but also when solving the case itself, don't put any numbers in it. Yeah. This is, yeah. 
I need to get this off my chest because yeah, it's not obvious. Agree. People forget about this all the time and they'll start putting numbers in and numbers in and numbers in. So in the end, they can't discuss the method with the interviewer and the interviewer can't follow what they're doing because what is this two that you're dividing by right now? What is this other seven that you're talking about? Is it days of the week or is it, you know, number of uh, machines or whatever? Yeah. Uh, okay. Let me try to guess why people don't listen to you when you say that. Okay. I think it's very intuitive for us. To, oh, uh, days of the year. Oh, it's 365. I'm going to put it right here. Yeah. Right? Uh, and I don't think there's a huge problem with doing that specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem is when you start doing it with everything and then it gets messy. Yeah. So, oh, there's like 24 hours in a day and then there's like uh, eight hours per day that an employee works. And then uh, also like the average person is, I don't know how tall, but whatever. And then you start doing it with other numbers and you start mixing the variables and the numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you get lost. Your interviewer gets lost. You put numbers without putting the variables. Mm -hmm. So you like five minutes later, don't remember if that number was... Uh, I don't know, 30 days in the month or 30 something else. Yeah. Uh, so we, I think when we give this advice, like do a split separation of variables and data, yeah. put the numbers later, we're very rigorous with that. And a lot of people are like, oh, you don't need to be so dogmatic about it. Yeah. And it's true, you don't. However... If you don't, if you're not as dogmatic about it in your practice, chances are you're going to be even less so in your interviews yeah. when you're more stressed and you haven't built the habit of separating variables from numbers in your practice. So in your, in your interviews, you tend to mix things together mm -hmm. and... And then you make mistakes. So yeah. it's kind of like those those things that they teach you in the army that you're like, oh, you don't need to be so rigorous about, you know, uh, disarming your rifle or whatever they do in the army. I, I don't know because <laughs> I haven't served, but whatever they do yeah. in the army. But you know those things like, <laughs> yeah. like safety protocols with guns, like, oh, yeah. don't point your gun to anyone. Yeah. And then there was that Hollywood guy that killed some actress because... Yeah. He thought the gun was loaded with uh, fake uh, ammo. Yeah. So these these rules exist for a reason. Yes, you can break them sometimes, but uh, when, yeah, but you, you you shouldn't break them often, especially when you're practicing, yeah. because otherwise the practice has no reason to be right. Yeah, I love uh, I love I tend to love CEO sayings, generic CEO sayings. So I'm gonna like throw those, one those of them right there. Words and yeah. phrases. Yeah, yeah, all those that come from Albert Einstein and <laughs> Mark Twain. And <laughs> one of them is that you practice at 150 percent, so that in the when you need to use the technique, you deliver at 100. Yeah. Instead of practicing at 100, so that you deliver at uh, 70%. Yeah. Th there's also that Navy SEAL saying that like you don't rise to the level of your expectations, you fall to the level of your practice. Yeah. So I think, mm -hmm. yeah, you have to be extra rigorous with that when you're practicing. Otherwise, you're very prone to mistakes. Yeah. Since you brought up techniques, there's one technique that I think uh, many candidates don't even know 
that they need to use until this very podcast episode, which is the so what and the next steps. Yeah. And now that they know that they need to use it, and I've told I've told them that they need to diagnose themselves and see if they can do that, and that they can't, then they need a way to practice. So I want to bring this up to them so that we won't leave them hanging in that in that sense. So how do you practice the so what? Uh, see if you agree with me. Yeah. Basically, will, will you spill the secrets, Julio? Yeah, I'll spill the secrets. All right, I'll spill the secrets. If All right, guys, I'll, I'll look into your eyes again. <laughs> no one has ever taught you this. <laughs> yeah, because no, we invented it. Everyone says, "Oh, you have to have a so what at the end of your analysis." No one says how. Yeah, Julio's gonna spill the secrets right now. Spilling the secrets uh, on the risk of no one ever buying our courses ever again because <laughs> all the secrets are out there. Yeah. Uh, the best way to practice this is every time you do an analysis or if you want more frequent, you can even get numbers without uh, the questions before just getting a number in a business in a case. But uh, it's simpler. Every time you do an analysis, you get to the final number. Before doing anything else, take your framework out, the one you used in the beginning of the case to solve the actual case question, plug the number in there and ask yourself, where does this point the final answer to? Yeah. So does this mean we're closer to a yes or to a no or to this option or to that option? Where does it point the final answer to? And phrasing that in a concise way is the interpretation to the number. Yeah. And then yeah. next, you look at the framework again and you cross whatever it is that arm that gave you that conclusion and you ask yourself, what should I do next based on this? Yeah. Sometimes it's just a random number in the framework and you should do the same thing, which is starting from the beginning. Sometimes it changes the entire hypothesis. So now you need to dive into that. Sometimes it gives the answer to the case and you need to do something else afterwards. But the framework that you've built as a path to solve the case should also give you the next step based on that number. Yeah, and the other thing that I think helps a lot mm -hmm. is because a lot of people let's say they do an analysis and they find the answer is 37. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, that seems low. <laughs> I think because of that, we need to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, it it kind of feels like you don't know if it's low or not. So the thing that helps a lot uh, understanding and interpreting a result is comparing the number to other relevant numbers. So right. This number is 37 and I'm being abstract on purpose here. Uh, what is our competitor's number? Mm -hmm. What is what was your our number a quarter ago? Yeah. What was our uh, our target yeah. for this number? Mm -hmm. And if you do this and show your interviewer you're doing this comparison, then you can go back to your framework and say, oh, this number is high. Yeah. Which means this, and we should do this, and you, you're you're not pulling out of your. Uh, I don't know if you can curse on YouTube, but uh, I don't think so. Yeah, okay. Uh, you can pull it out of your uh, of your something uh, of your something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can actually have a basis for that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Now uh, switching gears again a little bit. Uh, other than techniques, I want to go into what candidates are already doing, which is practice. But mm -hmm. I want to uh, talk a little bit about what great practice would look like okay uh, because if you just go and get cases and cases and cases from case books 
your practice is going to have a lot of problems because of the quality of the questions that you're getting and also because of their diversity. So uh, what people need to understand is that their practice for an analysis questions mm -hmm. should be both diverse and realistic. Right. So it should be diverse in the sense that People probably notice once can, they practice. Can I yeah. contextualize a bit? So yeah, I, sure. Because I think we're we're on the stream of consciousness here. Go on. So if you want to prepare well for math questions, you need basically three things, right? You need mm -hmm. techniques, mm -hmm. as we discussed. You need practice. Yeah. Uh, and you need to be well aware with all the five main types of uh, uh, math questions or Like we call them the five types. Maybe other people would categorize them in a different way, but you have to be, uh, you have to be well versed in different types of math questions, so you're not caught on surprise. So okay. just want to put yeah. it out there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so it needs to be diverse, and even if you don't know what the five types are, and this is something that I don't really want to spill the beans in here because. Not because it's, it's our secret sauce. Not be, not because it's the secret sauce necessarily, but because if I just say the names of the five types, uh, it doesn't mean anything. So we would actually need to turn this podcast into like a two-hour lesson explaining all of those. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no point. Yeah. But still, if you're practicing for a little bit, you let me give them something, Julio. Okay. Uh, let me just finish all this right, up. Sorry. Uh, if you've practicing, been practicing for a little bit, you're going to notice that each analysis will have a challenge. Yeah. One or two challenges. And you know that your practice is diverse, or at least somewhat diverse, if those challenges are changing from question to question. Right. If they're always very similar, if the one thing that you made the mistake in the previous analysis, uh, and you solved that problem, now you're not making any mistakes because that was the challenge in every single analysis. Then... You're, you're stumbling onto a problem there. That's probably, if, you, if you're falling into that trap that many casebooks bring, it's going to feel like you're doing a GMAT book. In GMAT books, the exercises are generally separated by type. Yeah. And once you understand the hardest one of those, you can do you know, the, the 20 ones that come before. Yeah. And then you're moving on to a different type and you're learning a different challenge. And practicing analysis should not feel like that. Yeah, one one thing that I see often in materials that you find online is you go to the math practice section and most of them are just pure math. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, multiply this by this, which is dumb. Like, yeah. it doesn't, it's not what you need. Some of them have better practice. Like, some of them have whole cases with math and etc. But what I see often is... Like all the math that you find in a certain uh, website yeah. is like break-even questions, which is one of the types. Yeah. So it's important. Mm -hmm. But there's way there's like four other types, right? Yeah. And if all the math that you see are break-even questions, uh, you may be even very good at break-even, but then you're going to be caught by surprise by other questions, like a funnel question. Yeah. So trying to spill the beans a bit here. No, that's all uh, right. But just to, to give people context, like there, you can have a break-even question. You, ha you can have a funnel. You mm -hmm. can have a funnel within a break-even. You can mm -hmm. have a break-even within a funnel. Yeah. And then there's other types as well. Uh, and you have some variability within that as well. There's 
different types of break-even questions. And I see often in other websites, like all, even like the behind the paywalls, like all the math questions are very similar to each other, mm -hmm. which gives you a false sense of confidence. Yeah. You're like, oh, I can solve these. Like I solved all of these. Mm -hmm. It's getting easier. Yeah. And that's dangerous if there's no variability, as you've mentioned. Yeah. And there's also the realistic sense of them. They need to be diverse, but they also need to be realistic. And I think that there are two points when it comes to being a realistic case math question. One of them is actually having business context, mm -hmm. not just being uh, a vague question with numbers that you need to solve. Because yeah, like of everything that we said before, like you need to be able to identify hidden variables. You need to be able to give uh, meaningful uh, next steps and meaningful conclusions to that number. And the, the other point is difficulty. The questions should be tough. Mm -hmm. The analysis that you're going to do in your interviews are going to be tough. So they're not going to be super simple questions. Yeah. They're going to have one challenge or two. They're also not going to be final calculus exam level right. as well. Right, they're going to be percentages, multiplications, additions, subtractions. And multi-step. But they're multi-step. Yeah. yeah, there's like, often there's like 8, 10, 12 different variables. Yeah. If you try to compress them into one big equation, like if you're a math genius, you can do that probably, but no one's going to understand, so it's not even the best way to do it. Yeah. So it has to be multiple steps to be realistic with most interviews. Like sometimes you will get an easy question at BCG, mm -hmm. at McKinsey, at Bain. Uh, sometimes you will get a break-even question with four variables. Mm -hmm. More common than that is you'll get a break-even within a break-even within a break-even, and there's like 12 variables total. Maybe 12 is stretching too much. That's on the hard side, but like eight variables total. You don't really understand what all the variables mean. The introvert doesn't give you all of them. And it's hard to find those online. Yeah. So it is hard to find them. With, that is precisely the reason why we've created yeah. Analytics Academy. So I'm not going to really point to, you know, go to this place and you'll find a lot of good practice questions. Except for Analytics Academy, that place doesn't even exist. But... Uh, I can point you to some benchmark to know if the questions that you're doing are good or not. Yeah. And that benchmark is our free course. We yeah. do have uh, two or three analysis questions in the free course. I think there are three. And they are a good benchmark both in terms of business context, difficulty, and variability. Mm -hmm. So that's something you can check out. Uh, if you haven't heard of our free course, then... It's, you just go to craftingcases.com slash free course. Yeah. The course is in there. If you go to caseinterviewpodcast.com, the course is also in there. The course is everywhere. It's on our homepage as well. Yeah, yeah. just craftingcases.com. Yeah, I, I, would, I would go as far as saying, because people, like, we've inspired this episode on the analytics course. So obviously we're talking about it. But I wouldn't recommend people go through it before they do the analysis and the chart interpretation module of our free course, because the basis is there. You can see a good uh, sample of uh, realistic examples and drills that you can practice with. The drills are in video. 
They're designed so you can practice with them, see great answers, yeah. see what makes the answers great. And I think for a lot of people, that's enough. Yeah, uh, for a lot of people, it is enough. Uh, a lot of people say that they get the offers just by doing the free course. Yeah, uh, It's designed to happen that way because we only want to sell the courses to people who really need to develop these specific skills. Yeah, And some people don't. And uh, another benefit of doing the free course first is they also know if they like learning from us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they'll, they'll see what it's yeah. like. But uh, jumping back to identifying high-quality analysis questions, there are some hard criteria that people can use, and I think that uh, I want to hear if you agree with these. All right. So number one is, and I think you agree because you've already agreed in a sense, the solution for the problem requires multiple steps. Yeah. It can't just sure. be... Take this and this and divide by that. Yeah. So there are multiple steps that require some communication clarity to convey to your interviewer. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way of knowing. Like, if you can explain it too quickly to your cat, then it's not complex enough. Yeah. It, and when you say complex, a lot of people think it's like, oh, it's pi times e. It's not that. It's like a lot of variables... They're in different levels in the hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, you need to work with them to get to your inputs. That's the kind of complexity. Yeah, perfect. And another, another criteria, and I've mentioned this one already, uh, the challenges change between, like all of the analysis have a challenge, at least one, that you look at the challenge and you can say, I can see many people making this mistake. Yeah, I know that this part is hard, you yeah. know, and it has at least one of them and the challenge changes between different cases. Yeah. So from this one, it's knowing that, you know, occupancy rates shouldn't be above 100 percent. I don't know, whatever. There's, there are different challenges between the cases. Yeah. To give a parameter, mm -hmm. I guess most... Like the average analysis in a case, in a real case with a mm -hmm. consulting firm, I'd say half of the people are going to uh, reach the wrong uh, yeah. result yeah. or they're going get, to get stuck. So mm -hmm. only half of the people will get it right. Mm -hmm. And of those, uh, half will be fairly smooth yeah. and the other half will stumble in the way. and Yeah, it will be rocky. Yeah, so... If that helps people assessing the difficulty of an analysis, like that's the, the benchmark. I'd yeah. Say. And there's a third criteria that you brought up that I think should be in here. And that is there are hidden variables. There are tricks. There are things that uh, were not obvious and were not mentioned, but do affect the the number that you're getting to yeah you, you have a great video on the course which is like the eight or nine factors that interviewers use to make a simple analysis difficult mm -hmm. and uh, one of them is hidden variables the other one is giving you indirect data so instead of giving like exactly what you need they give you a number that's like three steps away uh, and there are others so th these kinds of tricky things yeah. And you can see them as you solve an analysis. Yeah, just an example, because I think that hidden variables might be a little bit vague. An yeah. example is, let's say you're trying to calculate the profits or the profitability or the ROI of a fresh produce retailer. Mm -hmm. And the interviewer gives you a ton of number numbers, but they don't mention losses. Yeah. When you're talking like about fresh... spoilage. Yeah, spoilage. When you're talking about fresh produce, 
there are there is going to be spoilage. Some stuff is going to be unsellable because yeah. it's just going to look bad and be bad. So if they don't mention that, it should be in the problem. So it is a hidden variable. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. And, and the thing about these hidden variables is it's obvious when you look at the problem, but most people are so deep into the math that mm -hmm. they forget they're talking about fruit yeah. and vegetables. Mm -hmm. I, I had one of these in one of my interviews, which is it was like to calculate the printing costs of a commercial bank. Mm -hmm. Uh, like the the central office, not yeah. the the retail agencies, uh, and they like the data I got was like the obvious one, like maintenance, ink, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was a hidden variable, which is the office area that the printer would uh, would occupy right so rent rent exactly yeah and these printers are big like if you've ever been to a corporate office they're like they're big mm -hmm. uh and if you get like a huge bank like a whole financial building uh and you sum like the area of all the printers you may get like one or two floors yeah which is super expensive and this is another example of a yeah. hidden variable that's a good point so do you agree with those criteria? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I think that's that sounds right. All right. So uh, I think that we've already talked about uh, fairly enough about our course, but it's time to sell the course. It is time to All sell right. the course. <laughs> okay, so if you're having trouble with analytics, let me look them in the eye again. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, I think, uh, who, who do you think the course is for? Who is it not for, Julio? So the course is definitely for people who are having trouble with their analytical questions. Yeah. They sometimes or often get stuck with those questions. They oftentimes make mistakes that the interviewer will tell them about. They get messed up with the numbers. Um, they often get cases that they know beforehand that they won't be able to solve, that they're, not, that they're gonna get stuck. And then it does happen, they do get stuck. Yeah. I guess that's one kind of people the course is for. Yeah, I think uh, also like is the course for people who have trouble with math because a lot of these math instructions are for people who are already good with math and the course is made for people who are having trouble with math. So that's one nice thing to say. Exactly. I think that our experience comes a lot from teaching people who are not good at math how to pass their math questions in their interviews. Yeah. So it's not from, you know, consultants who did a lot of consulting work yeah. and are teaching the techniques. There is an element of that, but the main point is solving your problem rather than teaching you how to be a partner at McKinsey. Yeah, or like ex-physics PhD teaches math. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I, I already don't understand what they're saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the way the course is structured is you have the raw techniques for structuring, doing mental math, which you can improve in just a day, because uh, we just do like the best techniques for, for arithmetic, uh, having insights. So these work for everyone. And then you have a module for each of the five types of uh, math questions that they give in, in case interviews. 
So break even is one of them. Funnels is another one. There's other. There's three others. Then we have a special module for charts. Yeah. Where we teach exactly how to map out charts and find the insights and etc. Uh, and then you ha for each module you have drills like three or mm -hmm. four drills from easy to hard. Mm -hmm. So the easy ones you should anyone should be able to solve them, and then you progressively increase difficulty until you're doing. Uh, drills for that type of question that are much harder than you'll get in your interview so that you're prepared for anything. And yeah. we also have a module for uh, math questions that don't fit any of the five archetypes. Right? Yeah. I think that the the main thing that people need to know about this course is it was built around the reasons people fail. Yeah. It was built around the problems that students have and the skills that they don't have they need that they need to have uh, and focused on teaching those skills and not only teaching the theory but giving them practice so that they can take their the lessons and apply them and finish the course capable finish the course able to look at any math problem that's coming up to them and creating the structure doing the math smoothly, and giving out recommendations. Yeah, uh, just got this review the other day, which is this guy saying that math was his worst weakness, and now it's his best strength. Yeah. And now he's worried about the other stuff, because, you know, you, you always want to improve your, your bottleneck, right? If you want to bring that up, uh, I want to recap uh, what we just said, so that candidates don't uh, now let me just say who the course is not for. Okay, because I don't think it's for everyone. Uh, actually, I don't think it's for most people. So, I don't think it's for anyone who hasn't gone through the quantitative analysis and chart interpretation modules of our free course. Yeah, because that's the basis. That's the fundamentals. You will do some drills. You will see where you're strong and where you're you're not, mm -hmm. and you'll see if you like our style of teaching. Yeah. Right, so that's one thing. The other thing, I think, if you have uh, a major issue with structuring, you should learn to structure problems first. Yeah. So, like frameworks, brainstorming questions. We have courses on that. We have modules on the free course on that as well. Uh, but regardless of how you do it, you need to do that first because it doesn't matter how ma how good your math is, if you can't structure well. Uh, you you won't be able to 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 get the offer. Yeah. Unless you're really poor at math, mm -hmm. then you you probably need to work both of those together because you need both, right? Yeah. Uh, and I don't think the course is for. Okay, that's gonna sound like <laughs> obvious, but <laughs> I, it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's not a magic solution, like. Uh, the, the arithmetic part is kind of a magic solution. Like a lot of people improve in one day yeah, uh, and stop making uh, mental math mistakes and stuff like that. I won't promise this for everyone, but it's like three techniques or four techniques that are really helpful. Uh, but the rest of the course and the structuring parts of the course, which is what matters mm -hmm. uh, and is the most important part and, and doing the drills and everything, it's going to take you one or two weeks at least of dedicated work. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, it is a lot of work. So if you're trying to, for a quick and fast solution, it's probably not the right place. Yeah, that's yeah? right. 
that's not Netflix. You can't just watch it. No, no. you have to do the work. Yeah. yeah. So if you're interested in the course, go to our free course, check out the analysis question, the analysis module, the chart interpretation module, and uh, you'll see the Analytics Academy in the same platform there, and you can join. So Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, as it's important for people to know that the course is not for everyone and to identify themselves as not the person the course is for. Yeah. Sometimes that's not the case, especially given that it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, now I just want to recap so that people can finish this episode and go improve in their math skills. All right. So basically we said the, end, the question in this episode is how do you master case math if you're not a math person? Yeah. And I think that that is only two, only two things. There are only two main things that they need to learn. One of them is techniques and especially structuring. So if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna not only summarize, but pick the most important part, learn how to structure uh, your case math. Multi-step. Multi-step. Math, yeah. Multi-step math, yeah. And of course, communicate that structure. It doesn't work if you're structuring only for yourself. Yeah. And diverse and tough practice. Right. So that you can put all of that to, put your techniques to practice and also put your skills to test. Yeah, so different types of math problems with different levels of complexity, different main challenges within them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, I agree. And I'd say it's possible because a lot of yeah. people think, oh, I'm bad at math. I've always been bad at math. I'm not going to be able to, to, to do this. And a lot of people, back when we were coaching, a lot of people who were bad at math in school uh, did well. Uh, now with our course, a lot of people are doing well as well. A lot of people do well with just the free course. Yeah. And... Uh, because they work on it, they find out where, uh, in which specific parts they're not very good at. Sometimes it's just the number of zeros mm -hmm. that they're mis making mistakes. Sometimes it's just the structure. Sometimes it's just this thing. And if you were bad at math in school, it has very little correlation with how good you are in case math. And same if you were great at math in school, it doesn't have a lot of correlation with how good you are with case math because there are different skills, right? In school, yeah. you're like, uh, like this big formulas, calculus and trigonometry, and it's like all abstract. Yeah. And in case math, it's very practical. It's multiplication, division, percentages. It doesn't mm -hmm. become a lot more complex than this. But you have to understand the problem, the nuances, the wording, uh, if, the, if it's a problem related to fruit and vegetables, you need to be able to see that they spoil. Yeah. And it's very different from school. So a lot of people have this preconception that, oh, I'm bad at math. It doesn't really matter. Unless you're really terrible at it, like you can't get one math problem done, then maybe you should do something else. Yeah. Uh, then, then go into a profession where you spend a lot of days in your spreadsheets. But if you're okay at math or like, oh, math wasn't my best subject, but I was okay at it. I think you you should at least try. Yeah, I think that this is something we, maybe we could have spent more time talking about in this in this episode because many people who are bad at math, they do feel like they can't solve that problem. And our experience is clearly that they can. And come on, we're spending our time doing this episode. We're, we've spent our time creating that course for people who are bad at math. And if it, 
if it wasn't possible to solve, we would work on things that were possible to yeah, solve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, 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 I hope people realize that we just do courses when we think that the other materials are not good enough and when we think they're helpful to people who have that kind of problem, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. So if you're bad at structuring and it was impossible to fix, we wouldn't do a course on structuring. And yeah. yeah, we would do a course on something that's fixable. Yeah, exactly. All right, Julie, yeah. I think we should call this off. All right, let's do it. That was a good one. Yeah, thank you. Yeah.